Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. James chapter 4 and verse 13, James writes, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This continues James' discussion of worldliness and some of the problems that those to whom he was writing were dealing with and were guilty of. When they are trying to be friends with the world and still in some way devoted to God, not fully submitting to him and not fully resisting the devil. Not only will they make judgments that are erring, as we saw last episode in verses 11 and 12, but just general planning in their life is going to be erring. It's going to come from a context of not humility, but pride again. It's not going to come from a context of being godly, that is, a Godward piety. Their planning will not be godly, because God's not going to be in those plans. And this is certainly something that can be very practical for us as Christians. When we make plans, whether it is general life plans, what is our path of education, what is our path of occupation, what is our path of romance, who are we going to marry, who are we going to court or date, what are our friends going to look like, what am I going to do with my future financially, where's my trust going to be, all of those kinds of things, the list of applications is endless. How am I going to raise my children? So on and so forth. When we make plans generally or specifically, what am I going to do on this date in the future? Specific date, specific time frame. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What actions am I going to take? For the Christian, that's going to look drastically different than those in the world because we have a king that we're in submission to. We've got expectations that have been given to us by our divine creator. We have restrictions. We can't just make plans based on anything and everything we may have the urge to do. But those things are governed by God's law. And so when Christians make plans, when they decide how they're going to do something or when they're going to do something or what they're going to do it, period. It's going to look a lot different than those in the world. And I want us to notice that the first problem James points out with his readers is this presumptuous attitude. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. That is not the problem. James is not condemning travel. James is not condemning financial prudence, James is not condemning planning, period. James is condemning a specific type 
of planning. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, we note that the Apostle Paul had plans. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 5. He says, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send, send me on my journey wherever I go. He has plans. Jesus understood the necessity of planning. Again, James is not condemning planning. We need to plan. We are people who plan. In fact, it would be impossible to live very long unless we planned. We plan to eat. We plan to wake up and work. We plan all the time, and it's really necessary. There's not a person who has ever been successful who did not have some form of Planning. And Jesus understood the necessity of planning even in spiritual matters. We've got to be planners spiritually. In Luke 14, in verse 28, when he's speaking of the cost of discipleship, he says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. He says, first you sit down and think about it, and you make plans, and you consider it. Here's the problem, though. As James points out in verse 14, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. So the problem with those who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, and buy and sell and make a profit, is their presumptuousness. They presume to have tomorrow. They don't plan with the understanding, whether verbalized or internally understood, that God is in control, that tomorrow is not certain, that these things may not pan out. They plan with this presumption that tomorrow is a given, that it is granted, that we can be confident in these plans as if it's our life's structure and foundation. But he says tomorrow is not known. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Why would you plan with such kind of confidence? You can't have that confidence. In Proverbs 27 and verse 1, wisdom tells us, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. What we've got to understand is that tomorrow isn't a given. It may be on the calendar, the calendar looks forward days and days and days and years, and, and we understand the benefit of that even. We, we need that to make plans, but the Christian understands. It's understood by the spiritually-minded person that that's not something we can have confidence in because God may decide to stop everything now. We don't know whether tomorrow will continue. In Psalm 90 and verse 9, the psalmist says, All our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. You don't know how long you'll live. The psalmist then in Psalm 39 and verse 4, request of the Lord, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man, 
at his best state is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. We need to make that request to God. Lord, help us to understand our frailty. In all of the moving parts of life and the fact that we have had X amount of days where we looked forward to them, they came and they passed, help us to understand that's not how things are. Help us to know that our days are actually limited. They're numbered. We don't know if we have tomorrow. In Psalm 39, in verse 5, it says, At our best state, we are but vapor. As James says, it is even a vapor, our life, that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Who knows? We may live to see a lot more days, but also, we may not. And even if we see more days, like we read in Psalm 90, in verses 9 and 10, Even if our years are more than what is average, it's still fleeting. It still just flies away. It's still a vapor. Our life is so, so short. Don't be presumptuous and think that you have tomorrow. You don't know that. So when you make your plans, understand that you're not in control, that your life is not certain, that tomorrow may never come. And brethren... If we can understand that, you'd better believe our planning, the way we make our plans, our priorities in planning, are going to drastically change. He continues, instead, you ought to say, instead of of planning in this way, you ought to do this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this and that. You know, Paul, in his plans, as we indicated before, he made many plans, often used similar plans. Language. Acts 18 and verse 21, he said, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 19, likewise, he said, I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. In chapter 16 and verse 7, after, as we alluded to earlier, he indicated his plans to come to them. He said, I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. And what we can understand by this is this is not just a mindless utterance because Paul, while using similar language, did not utter the exact words verbatim, if the Lord wills, we should live to do this or that. It's not a mindless utterance. It's not just this formula that we break out every single time we make plans. And a person who makes plans without saying this verbatim is not sinning in doing so, and it's not an indication that they are presumptuous in their planning. But what this is is a mindset. It's an attitude. We don't have to ever, in our entire lives, when we make plans, say, if the Lord wills. I think that we often say that, and it's a good thing to say, but James is not saying that your plans are all of a sudden okay and good if you say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this. It's not a mindless utterance. It's it's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's an understanding and comprehension of spiritual reality and the place of God. I think that a good place to demonstrate this is Acts chapter 5. You might remember the context of Acts chapter 5 where Peter and John and the apostles are preaching Christ and Him crucified. They had recently healed a lame man who laid at the gate called Beautiful. 
They were arrested for doing so. They were let out and they continued to preach in his name and then they were arrested again. And and here you've got the Sanhedrin that is talking amongst themselves, deciding what they're going to do about Peter and John and their obstinance toward their authority as they continue to preach in the name of Jesus that they told them they must not preach in anymore. Now there's a man that ultimately Paul learned from, Gamaliel, a teacher held in high respect by those of the Jews. And he had some insight into this situation. And while his attitude toward Peter and John in the gospel was certainly erring, he was certainly on the wrong side of things, his logic is sound, his reasoning is not flawed. This is what he said to the Sanhedrin in Acts 5 and verse 35 concerning Peter and John and their actions and what they should do about it. He said, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos arose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Why? For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Gamaliel understood that God is in control. Now, in that regard, he should have understood the miracle was notable, undeniable, and therefore he should submit to the gospel they preached, so he's certainly erring. But what Gamaliel said is basically, God's will persists. God is in control, not us. Don't presume that we can control this situation. If it's of God, it will persist. You can't do anything about it. You better not be fighting against God. But if it's of man, it's going to come to nothing. Just like Theodos and Judas, they led a revolt and they failed miserably. Why? Because God was not on their side. They weren't on God's side. And, and this is what James is saying. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this and that. And what that does is it, it comes to this comprehension of the truth and understanding of reality that God is in control. He gets to decide whether tomorrow continues. God is in control. Your life is but a vapor. You don't know if you'll even live to see tomorrow. The world may go on, and, and Jeremiah may not. God has that control, not you. And if that's the case, then our will should not be acting contrary to the one who has that power. But not only should we make plans with the understanding that those plans may never come to fruition and have that kind of humility that we're not in control, but our plans should be molded, should be brought into effect with the understanding of God's will. He's in control. If, if God is in control, if God is the one that decides, if God is the one with power, then I'm going to make my plans with that understanding, but also with the specificity in my planning that is willingly under God's control. God's in control, so I'm under his control. And that's a decision. You know, someone may say, I believe and I understand God's in control of everything, but I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. 
This is the understanding that God is in control, not me. I'm powerless. God is powerful. And since that is the case, not only am I going to understand in humility that tomorrow may not ever even happen, that I don't even know how long I'm going to live, but as long as I live and as long as I'm making plans, that since God is in control, I'm going to allow His will to have priority, which will, in effect, change my plans in some ways. In Psalm 119 and verse 105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God is in control, so I am under his control, and his word guides me, not my own thoughts and not my own plans. In the 133rd verse of Psalm 119, he says, Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. The presumptuous think they're in control. And if you think you're in control, not just in the sense of, I do know, I feel like I know, I have a confidence, even if it's not founded on anything, that tomorrow is coming and, and I feel invincible. I, I'm not a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away, but I'm invincible. The presumptuous think they're in control, and so they're going to make their plans without the control of another. In other words, they're going to be self-willed and motivated. The arrogant and presumptuous don't think about God's will. They make plans and leave God out of the picture. And this was characteristic of the specific false teachers of Peter's writing. In 2 Peter 2 and verse 10, he says that they are presumptuous, self-willed. They presume to know they have tomorrow. They presume to take a position they have no right to take. They are self-willed. And James points that out as boastful. Verse 16, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. The person who lives their life by taking tomorrow for granted and then leaves God out of his plans and his, his deeds, he boasts in his actions and is extremely arrogant. That word arrogance comes from the Greek word alazonia and it means braggadocio, that is self-confidence. And his commentary on James Daniel H. King Sr. comments on this word. He says, The Greek word which he uses to describe this sin is alizonia, which finds its origin in the characteristic of a wandering quack, not unlike the medicine man during the frontier days in America, who offered cures which were not really cures at all. Thus he boasted that he could perform feats which he was really unable to do. When you are presumptuous in that way, you're making plans without God in mind and without his control through his law then you're thinking that you can perform feats which you really can't perform. You think that you can set up your future for yourself, which is really what it was about in verse 13. We'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. I can, I can stabilize my future by doing this. But you're missing the whole point, and really you don't know that you're powerless to do that. You think you're so good, you're arrogant. You can't set up your future like that. There's only one that can set up your future. That's God. Strong gives some definitions of that Greek word. He says it's an insolent and empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources and shamefully despises and violates divine laws and human rights. An impious and empty presumption which trusts in the ability of earthly things. And it reminded me of the parable of the rich fool who built up his silos, his barns, and he was making a foundation for his future, but God said to him in verse 20 of Luke 12, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. 
Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He arrogantly trusted in his own abilities to provide for his future. And when his future was taken away, his whole future he provided for, that he thought he had such stability in, that future was taken away. He realized he truly had no power at all and he had no provision for his future. Who was able to truly provide for his future? God. But he planned without God. He wasn't thinking about God. He certainly wasn't thinking about his spiritual future. He showed his presumptuous character and arrogance. He carried on thinking that he would have tomorrow, so he left God out of his plans. And When tomorrow didn't come, his future and eternity was settled. And it was settled in a way that knowing what he knew then, he would have changed everything in his planning before that. We need to make sure we don't leave God out of our plans, but we include him in everything because here is the ultimate result of planning without God. Verse 17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. You're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, each and everything that you do, each and every plan that you make, should be with God as priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6.33. He is the preeminent one. And we do everything in submission to his will, whether it's a positive command or a negative one that is a prohibition. We make our plans in accordance with that. And so I'm not going to plan to do something which would take away my ability in that planning to fulfill a command of God. I'm not going to do something and put myself as a plan in a position that would cause me to be susceptible to temptation and sin. Why do some take actions and make decisions that are going to keep them from doing what God wants them to do? Omitting what they know is good that God requires to do. It's because they're acting in this way. Why do some people plan a vacation which takes them to a place where they know they will not have a sound congregation to visit? Because they are not planning their lives in the way James is instructing brethren to plan their lives. There are so many applications to this. But simply put, we need to understand we don't have tomorrow, our lives are but a vapor, that God is in control, not us. And if we truly understand that, then everything we plan, everything we do is going to be in submission to His will, knowing that only He can sustain us and only the things He gives to us are certain and true. And so we're going to do good according to His will each and every opportunity we have, and our plans are going to be with such in mind. That's James chapter 4. I hope it was beneficial to you. And as per usual, we're going to have a topical study in between this chapter and James chapter 5, which will conclude the epistle, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do following that. I certainly thank you for your kind attention, and I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.